Good morning, guys. Good morning. It is good to see you guys. Isn't it good to worship God together in song? Man, oh man, oh man. Really, really good stuff. Hey, uh, last week we took a little break in our sermon series on the life of David, and we are back this week, so you're going to want to grab your Bibles. We're going to dive right in. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 19 this morning, and as you are turning there in your Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel, find chapter 19, and uh, as you're going there, let me just remind you of where we are sort of in the unfolding saga, the soap opera that is the life of David. Um, and let's just remember that in chapter 18, what we end up seeing is that King Saul is going through all kinds of these emotional ups and downs. He becomes very, very angry with David. He decides he's going to come after David. He's going to take David out. He's going to get rid of him. But uh, all of his schemes fail. As a result, he ends up uh, the father-in-law of David. Uh, David marries his daughter, and um, as the story goes on, it, let's pick it up at the very end of chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18, the last verse, verse 30, just sort of gives us a transition. It says, then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out. David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. And we've already established the fact that because David's name is highly esteemed, because everybody claps for him everywhere he goes, everybody is getting, you know, the I love David bumper sticker on the back of their chariot, all of that is happening, Saul is beginning to become more and more jealous all the time, right? And so uh, we get this abrupt change in chapter 19, verse 1. Follow with me. It says, Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. So everything was just going swimmingly. They just had the wedding. Saul gave a great speech at the wedding reception, and everything was going fine. And this, uh, this uh, burst of jealousy hits him again. And he gathers all of his, uh, his royal court and he says, all right, here's the deal. I want that guy dead. He puts a price on David's head, puts a contract out. It says, I want somebody, somewhere, somehow to kill him. Now pick it up in verse two. So Jonathan told David saying, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now therefore, please, be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. And they all lived happily ever after. Right? No, 
Some of you have been reading ahead. Uh, They did not all live happily ever after. The soap opera continues from this point on. Um, But it's so interesting to see. Remember, uh, Saul, uh, excuse me, David and Jonathan were best friends. They had forged this bond together as brothers. They had taken a vow together and they had said, I will always have your back and you will always have my back till the day I die. And we're gonna watch out for each other. So Jonathan is sitting in on the meeting when Saul says, hey, I want this guy killed. And immediately he goes out and finds David and goes, you better hide in a closet somewhere because everybody's gonna be looking for you. There's a price on your head. Let me go see what I can do about it. He goes back and meets with his father. And, and I just love Jonathan's character. How much courage does it take to keep your vow and to go to your father, the king, and to go, hey, dude, you are royally messing up. What are you thinking? Don't you remember what David has done for all of Israel? Don't you know that David has been nothing but good to you? Don't you know that David has supported you in everything and that you can trust him? Why in the world would you act like this? Saul was being ridiculous. David was his servant, not his enemy. He had been nothing but loyal to Saul all the time. He was now Saul's son-in-law. His daughter loved him dearly. His son Jonathan was his best friend. All the men of war loved him, trusted him, followed him. Everyone looked up to him and everything he did was positive for Israel and positive for the king. But jealousy is a powerful thing, isn't it? So Jonathan says, what the heck are you doing, dad? You're really messing this thing up. And so he reasons with him and it says Saul changed his mind. And he says, He he doesn't just say this, he makes a vow. He makes a vow and says, he will not be put to death. I will guarantee his safety. I will take care of making sure nothing bad ever happens to this guy. But if you know the story, you know he doesn't keep this promise. Because every time Saul gets jealous, every time he gets envious, every time he gets angry, he lets those emotions rule his behavior. So you never know what he's gonna do because his emotions are ruling his life. Now pick it up in verse eight. Now, when there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter. So they fled before him. Now, there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. By the way, do you think maybe somebody by now would have said, hey, what if we keep the spear in another room? That would have been a good idea, right? But, but this is important. It's symbolic to Saul. Saul is a warrior king. He was the big warrior in all of Israel before little old David came along and stole his thunder, right? So as a symbol of the fact that he's a warrior king, he has a big throne, and sitting next to his throne, there's a place where his, his spear just stands in the ground next to him so that at any point he can grab it. It's a symbol of his strength. And so David is there playing his little guitar and trying to calm him down. And, and well, look what happens. Verse 10, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear into the wall and David and, uh, fled and escaped into the night. 
Here we go again. It's like a broken record. This is now the third time at least that we haven't recorded that he tried to spear David to death. And every time he gets jealous, every time he gets fearful, every time he gets angry, his emotions take charge and they begin to rule over him again and the results are potentially deadly, especially for David. And by the way, don't miss what it says in verse nine. It's very important. It says there was an evil spirit that was causing this. And we talked about this last time. There, there was this demonic spirit that was attacking Saul ever since the spirit of God had left him. And when the spirit would attack, he would let his emotions rule. And I wanna point this out to you guys because I want us to remember Satan hasn't changed his strategy at all. This is still how we get attacked. This is still what he tries to do to trip us up. He tries to stir our emotions into a place where we lose it and begin to let our emotions be in control of what we do. And instead of doing what is right, instead of doing what is good, instead of doing what is honoring to God, we do whatever our emotions tell us to do. And that's his tactic. And that's what he's been doing all along. It's one of his favorite ways to do it. And I wonder how many prison cells are occupied today by people who just let their emotions rule over their behavior in one instance. I wonder how many divorces are tied to a moment or a series of moments where somebody's emotions were in charge of their behavior. I wonder how many children are estranged from their parents because of a childhood or a lifetime of emotions controlling the situation and families getting torn apart because of it. I, I say this all the time, but it's worth memorizing. Emotions are a great servant, but a terrible master. God gave us emotions. It is good to have emotions. You don't want to be unemotional. That turns you into a robot or worse. But our emotions are meant to serve us. They're meant to add quality to our lives. They are not meant to be served by us. And often we get that backwards. See, one of the problems of being ruled by our emotions is that our emotions are always changing. Amen? Is that not true? Our emotions change. Circumstances change our emotions. Whether it's a cloudy day or not changes my emotions. If I hear a sad song on the radio, it changes my emotions. Something can happen and just disappoint me. My emotions change. I, I, get, a, I get a positive news at work and I'm gonna get a bonus. My emotions change. My emotions go up and down all the time. It's sort of what it is to be human, right? Saul was jealous and angry so he puts a contract out on David's head. But Jonathan reasons with him, helps him to see the light, so he changes his mind and he changes his behavior. And things went back to the way they were. By the way, you notice that when, when people are ruled by their emotions and as a result they do something stupid, that they always feel bad about it afterwards? That how many times has somebody gotten their emotions all riled up and the next thing they know, they're doing something they shouldn't do and now they're facing the consequences of that and they genuinely feel so sorry. They just wish they hadn't done it. I just wish I had gotten 
control. If, if, you, if you've ever, you know, had a, a moment of road rage, it's astonishing, right? You, you, you hear about it in the papers. Somebody's driving down the freeway and somebody's like got their high beams on and they shoot them. Somebody's driving too slow and they bump them. Why? Well, you know, he, he got in my way. Really? So, so we kill people for that. I, I wonder how many people have committed adultery because they were in a certain emotional state and then there was an opportunity and they blew up their whole life only to later go, what was I thinking? And the answer is I wasn't thinking, I was feeling. And I let my feelings control. Domestic violence situations, drunkenness. We're always sorry afterwards. But the question is not whether I'm sorry. The question is whether my heart is changing. Because eventually, the pressure comes back. Eventually, the emotions change. Eventually, a similar situation presents itself. And if my character is not shaped to the place where I know how to handle that, I'm gonna continue to let my emotions control my life. Only a changed heart will keep me from falling into the same destructive patterns over and over and over again. Well, things went back to normal in Israel. David is back out again, leading the men into battle. God is blessing his efforts and Israel is having success. When there's no battle raging, he's coming back to the palace. He's playing music for the king and everything is going fine until Saul gets emotional. And when that happens, he tries to kill David. And the interesting thing is, he keeps attacking David when his emotions go bad, but the problem wasn't David. Emotions change constantly. Saul's problem was not his emotions. His problem was his character. He had a darkened heart. He was accustomed to putting his own desires above everything else. He was a man with a weak character. And his life was ruled by things like bitterness and anger and wrath and malice. So for the third time, he tries to pin David to the wall with his spear. But this time, David takes off and runs for his life. And it's interesting to note that from this point on, David does not set foot in the palace for another 20 years. He takes off running, and he runs for 20 years. And the whole time, Saul is chasing him. So this would be the last time he's in the palace for 20 years. Saul had set in motion a series of events that would destroy countless lives, would hurt Israel for countless years, steal God's blessing from the nation. Emotions are a terrible master. If we kept reading chapter 19, here's what you would see. Saul sends a group of ninjas to David's house. He sends hitmen at night and says, kill him in his bed. I want him dead tonight. In his, in his bed, next to Saul's daughter, I want him killed. He sends these guys to kill. Well, 
his daughter gets word of it and she helps him escape and hides the fact that he's not there. And he gets away. So now Saul's mad at her too. Now Saul's son is on David's side. Saul's daughter is on David's side. The the warriors are on David's side. Everybody loves David. How well do you think that went over with Saul? Not great. And for the next 20 years, Saul's life would be controlled by his emotions. He would be a slave to anger, be a slave to jealousy. He would be a slave to malice and hatred. And God's blessings for Israel are postponed by two decades. And, and, and Saul's going to keep chasing David, and David's going to be sleeping in caves for 20 years. We'll get to that later. But suffice it to say, Saul would die in his bitterness, would never again know the joy of experiencing the presence of God's spirit in his life. Because you can either be ruled by your emotions or you can be ruled by God, but you can't do both. Jesus made this really clear himself. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other or he'll serve the one and despise the other but you cannot serve two masters. And so we, as followers of God, have a question to ask ourselves. Who's gonna be my master? Am I gonna be mastered by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who loves me so much that he sent his own son to die for me? Or am I gonna be mastered by my emotions and the temptations that come with those emotions? It's an important question to ask. And for some of us, sitting here today, this is convicting because we realize that far too often we have been ruled by our emotions. But we feel stuck because after all, you don't choose your emotions, right? And who wants to be angry? Who, who gets up in the morning and says, today would be a good day to be bitter, I think I'll do that. That's not what anybody does or jealous, or fearful, or depressed, or whatever. Those are things that happen to us, right? They're not things we choose. Some of us are just the jealous type, right? I, I, I remember having a conversation with a man I was trying to minister to, and unfortunately, the conversation was taking place in jail because he had just hit his wife. And he said to me, I can't help it, it's, I'm Irish. His nationality was to blame. But we honestly buy that stuff. We honestly go, I can't help it, I just have a bad temper. I can't help it, I just like to drink a lot. I can't help it, I just get angry and when I get angry, I yell. There's nothing I can do about it, right? Some of us, I say with all sincere compassion, some of us have been through a lot of abuse. And the, and the result is that we got scars to show for it. And we are angry and we are bitter all the time. Nobody wants to be abused, but some of us have been. And now our emotions, they just flare up and we can't help it. 
right? Let's see what God's word has to say about that. I want you to go to the New Testament book of Ephesians. So it's all the way to the back of your Bible from where you're at. Find the book of Ephesians. It goes Galatians, then Ephesians, then Philippians. I'm gonna give you a second to get there. By the way, Ephesians chapter four is one of the great chapters in the whole Bible on the topic of relationships. If you struggle in relationships, if you're ever struggling in a relationship, I encourage you, go and meditate on the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter four. It gives you a ton of great information about how to do relationships right. But we're just gonna look at the end of it. I want you to pick it up in verse 26 at this shocking, shocking verse. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.26. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Did you know that the Bible commands us to be angry? Is that surprising? And, and by the way, he's quoting the Old Testament here. So it's not just that Paul had this wild idea and he said, hey, everybody be angry. He's quoting the Old Testament that also teaches us to be angry. So we're literally commanded here to be angry. I found that shocking because I had always been taught everything I knew about anger was that it's bad. Everything I knew about anger is that it, it causes all kinds of trouble. Everything that I had experienced with anger, it had crippled my life. And so the idea that being angry could ever be appropriate blows my mind. But you know what, guys? There are some things we should be angry about. I, I, I'm angry about human trafficking. Anybody else? I, I, it, it makes me angry and, and it makes a lot of people angry and because of that, there are whole ministries of people who have devoted their lives to freeing people who are being trafficked. Why? Because they got angry about human trafficking. I'm angry about drug addiction. I think something needs to be done to help people who are caught up in addiction. I am angry about racial prejudice. I am angry about um, the division that happens in our lives with everybody who just isn't quite in our camp. I am angry about a whole bunch of stuff. Don't get me started. <laughs> and I think it's appropriate to be angry about those things. The question is not, are you angry? If, you're not, if you never get angry, you need treatment. <laughs> the question is not whether you get angry. The question is what do you do when you get angry? Do you, do you control your anger or does your anger control you? And a whole lot of us cannot honestly answer that question the way we ought to. So the Bible says be angry. We don't get to choose when we're angry Anger is an emotion. It happens. We do get to choose what we do when we're angry. And that makes all the difference. Look at the rest of the verse. It doesn't just say be angry. It says be angry and yet do not sin. The question is not whether you're angry. The question is whether you allow your anger to drive you to sin. 
That's the issue. And, and also says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, don't hang on to it. Don't let it just percolate. You, you have to deal with it appropriately because if you stuff it, it becomes bitterness. And bitterness grows uh, all kinds of fruit from the root of bitterness in your heart. So we have to be extremely careful about that. Your emotions may bring with them the temptation to sin, but they don't have the power to make you sin. It's very important for us to understand that. Guys, I think that truth should, it should set people free. So many of us have felt so stuck in this pattern where emotions get to tell us what to do. And I'm here to tell you that according to scripture, your emotions do not get to be your Lord. Only Jesus gets to be your Lord. The scripture says that if you're a Christian, you have been bought with the price. You are not your own. You belong to him. You don't even belong to yourself anymore. So your emotions don't get to be your Lord. Only Jesus gets to be your Lord. And the devil will tempt you to let your emotions be your king. But only God has the right to be your king. Don't give the devil an opportunity, it says. Now listen. I'm not speaking as someone who doesn't know what it's like to be ruled by his emotions. The, the first chapters of my life are ruled by anger. I, I grew up in a dysfunctional family like 90% of us. I have some scars to show for that. And I was so angry as a young man, as a child, that I didn't even know I was angry. I thought that's just the way everybody was. I was constantly right on the edge of snapping. And all you had to do was ruffle my feathers in some sort of way and my wrath was gonna pour out upon you. And it happened again and again and again and I kept getting kicked out of school and I kept getting in fights and I kept uh, getting into trouble and all the time this was happening in my life. I was so angry that I literally had no idea I was angry. It was the only way I knew to be. When I was about 14 years old, uh, I had another one of those fights. And that one changed my life because my anger got such control of me that I lost my temper and I, I beat this young man to the point where he was nearly dead and they took him off in an ambulance and they didn't know if he was gonna live or die. And what I remember, I, I, I remember this moment to this day vividly. And what I remember most about it was not the blood, it is not the yelling, it is not the sirens, it is not the police, it is not the anger. What I remember the most is that feeling that I wasn't in control of myself. I couldn't stop hitting him. He had been unconscious for minutes and I was still hitting him. And I went home that night and I wept all night and I cried out in case there was a God because I had no idea who God was. But, but I thought there, there must be a God. And I cried out to whoever you are up there if you're listening, please don't let him die. You know Why? I didn't want to go to jail. Because after all, it's about me, right? And I wanted God's help if he existed. Because 
I could look down this tunnel into my future and it went straight off a cliff and I knew it. I knew that night that there was no way I could redeem the mess my life had become and it was going to end in disaster, probably sooner rather than later. And I was scared to death and I cried out to God. And it was a couple of months later that a friend told me about the love of Jesus. And it was at that time that I finally broke my will, got on my knees and invited Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I can tell you this, I still struggle with every temptation in the world, but anger has never been my king again. God does amazing things. He makes us a new creation. I felt like I was a slave to my anger, but then I became a slave to Jesus and it changed everything. See, when Jesus is Lord, you're no longer a slave to your emotions. To me, this is just the best news. It means I'm not stuck. And guys, I talk to people all the time who are struggling in massive ways and keep repeating the same patterns in their lives. And what I hear them say in one way or another is I feel so stuck, I just can't get out of this. And I just want to be the voice of God's word in your life that says, my friend, in Jesus Christ, you are no longer stuck. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to let your emotions control you. If you're a follower of Christ, unlike Saul, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus changes everything, everything. If Jesus is your Lord, then you're not ruled by your emotions anymore. You have a choice and you have the power to make that choice. Let me just let Paul finish making his point. Get down to verse 31. We're still in Ephesians 4. Verse 31, listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So, so this is a two-edged sword. First of all, understand this. Our holy God, our just God, our God who is incapable of injustice, even if he wanted injustice and he doesn't. But our just God commands us to put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. He could not justly command us to do that unless he would empower us to do that. He's not saying never feel these emotions again. He's telling us what to do with them. When those emotions come, put them aside, he says. Don't give them a place in your heart. Don't let them have the throne of your life. And then he goes on and tells us what to do instead. Verse 32, be kind to one another. As if it's a choice? Yes, it's a choice. You get to choose to be kind even to people who are not kind to you. Be kind to one another. Be tender hearted. Soften your heart. How easy it is for us to harden our hearts in this world full of sin. He says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted. And then he just knocks me over with this forgiving one another. And I say, Well, wait a second. 
Some of the people I'm mad at, like, they're never going to apologize. He says, well, what does that have to do with this? <coughs> Forgiving one another. I said, wait, 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 wait. You don't understand. He does not deserve forgiveness. And God says, uh, Doug, are you done? <laughs> Finish the sentence. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I love forgiveness when it's coming my way. And, and, and by the way, if you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, what did you do to earn it? Did you deserve it? Did you deserve for the, for the sinless, spotless lamb of God to go to the cross and die for your sin? To offer you forgiveness? Of course not. But we're gonna hold everybody else to the standard where in my opinion, you have to deserve it before I forgive you. Guys, I'm telling you, it's a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it's convicting because we're accountable. God says, no more excuses. God says, I don't wanna hear the I'm Irish excuse one more time. I'm done with that. No more excuses. You're gonna own your sin. You're gonna realize that you have a choice and you're gonna be held accountable by God to make the right choice by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do it. That's the bad news. The good news on the other side of the sword is you can do it. You are not stuck. Christ has made a way. The Holy Spirit lives within every believer and you are empowered now to live above your emotions. You're empowered now to live above your circumstances. Guys, I'll say it again. Emotions make a terrible master, but Jesus is the perfect master. Just because you feel an emotion doesn't mean you have to let it take over your life. It is time to stop believing Satan's lies. It is time to stop letting your greatest enemy pull the strings of your puppet life. It is time to stop trying to just try harder to be good enough on your own strength. You will never do it. It is time to lay down your weapons, lift up your hands and surrender and say, God, I'm yours. You're all I need. You're all I want. You're everything. I'm gonna live for you. I'm gonna let you be the king. I'm gonna let you be the Lord and I'm gonna stop trying to do this on my own. You may need some support. You, you may need some encouragement. It's not easy to get out of a rut you've been in for so long. You may need some counseling. You may need some brothers and sisters to pray over you. But what you need above all else is to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of even your emotions. Since the day I transferred the ownership of my life to Jesus, anger has never been my Lord again. I am so blessed to be born again as a new creature. I'm not going back. How about you? Let's stand and pray. Lord, it's, it's with a certain amount of um, emotional rawness and vulnerability that we stand before you today 
having been exposed to the light of your word, which is um, sometimes makes us blink because it's so bright. And, and God, there, every single one of us has got some wounds and, and some scars, and every single one of us has fallen into some patterns. And, and the enemy just keeps lying to us, trying to convince us that we don't have a choice. But I thank you that your word is true, that the blood of Christ is enough, and that your Holy Spirit is able and I pray, God, that now we can all live in the surrender of our entire lives to you, Lord Jesus. Nothing else, nothing else will do. We just want you. We give you all thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.